0: and welcome back to Mitten Politics, where change is political. My name's Ian Duncanson, and I'm the host of this show. I'm really excited to talk this episode about ranked choice voting, but I want to cover a couple of of brief highlights at the beginning here. First of all, I'm really excited to have hit over 100 followers on Instagram so far. Um, On Facebook, we're a little bit over that as well but please be sure to share my Facebook and Instagram accounts with anybody else you think you, who might find interest in this. My Instagram is at mitten underscore politics, and my Facebook account is at mitten politics with no underscore or anything. Um, so in this episode, uh, we talk about ranked choice voting. There's a couple other notable news events that are worth mentioning before we dive in. First of all, the Georgia Senate races. Those blew me away watching John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock win statewide in Georgia, which will flip the, uh, the partisan nature of the Senate, and finally make Mitch McConnell a minority leader again. Uh, this is going to have a profound impact on what legislation is able to be taken up and passed over the next two to four years, depending on what happens in 2022. So a uh, huge shout out to Georgia especially Stacey Abrams and all of the other folks of color down there who really made uh, this election push the way that it did. It really is all of the, the people of color, uh, all of the black people, all of the Latino people, all of the Asian people who really push this over the limit. And so we thank you countrywide. We thank you so much for that. Another event that happened last week that, of course, can't go without mention was the insurrection of uh, essentially a bunch of white nationalists and domestic terrorists storming the Capitol in an attempt to overthrow the election and scare Congress into uh, essentially silencing the voice of the people. Um, There's now discussions about impeachment and the 25th Amendment. Some people may wonder why even bother with impeachment this close to Trump leaving office on the 20th. And one really noteworthy thing outside of just the precedent that it sets that we do not allow our leaders to do this. It also will also um, strip Trump of any lifelong benefits that come with being a former president and also, has the potential to restrict him from running for office again, which is a really crucial piece because the last thing that we want is for Trump to leave office and announce that he's running for 2024 and spend the next four years with rallies and inciting insurrections of a multitude of of forms. So there really is a need and an urgency to get this done in whatever form that it takes. Um, So I just wanted to, to cover that Um, But let's talk a little bit about uh, rank choice voting here. So I will be talking with Kevin Deegan Krauss, who is a political science professor at Wayne State. He is the presentations coordinator for Rank My Vote, that's MI, so Rank MI Vote, uh, which is the Michigan wide initiative uh, to get rank choice voting on the ballot in 2022. And so if you want to know more about that I'm going to include the link for Rank My Vote in the uh, description of this episode wherever you listen to your episodes. I'll also drop their Facebook link in there because they do a lot of really awesome things on that as well. And then the last thing I'll say before we dive in is just to note that ranked Choice Voting is not in and of itself the solution to all of our voting system problems. There are other things that we need to tackle like gerrymandering and voter suppression and the list goes on, but this is a huge step in the right direction. And so I hope that you will listen with an open mind and seriously consider the potential benefits of a ranked system rather than having a choose one or nothing system. That's why I titled this episode, No More Spoiler Candidates, as kind of the subheader is because this system will remove the sense that to vote for someone who you like more is spoiling or wasting your vote from someone else who is more likely to win. And so you'll understand a little bit more about that as we go on. And with that, I will go ahead and we'll dive in. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about Ranked Choice Voting. I think it's um, a very worthwhile initiative. And from what I've learned, it's a very nonpartisan initiative. So I'm excited to kind of talk about, you know, the different the different pieces of this to help people understand it. Uh, Before I dive in, do you want to share just a little bit about how you got involved with this, this initiative? Yeah, so um, I teach uh, political science at Wayne State. And
1: I've spent a lot of time working on European politics. That's actually the area that, that I research in. Um, and the first time I, I started doing field work uh, in various European countries, um, I was kind of shocked. I sh- probably shouldn't have been, but I was kind of shocked to realize how differently countries do voting than we do. Like, I always just assumed there was only one kind of voting. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you fly across the Atlantic and it turns out there are like 37 different kinds of voting. Um, and one of the ones that was really intriguing to me um, was the kind of voting that I saw in uh, Ireland, um, in Malta, um, that I'd heard about in Australia, um, where people were allowed to, to rank their vote and put you know, one candidate ahead of another and ahead of another. And then when I started teaching at Wayne, I started teaching a course on parties and elections. Um, And we started to work with different electoral systems. Uh, And so uh, I would, as my midterm in the class, I would always having taught all of the different systems and actually we simulate those with the students. We we run through all the different kinds they get to experience what they're all like. And the midterm course exam was always pick one of these, the electoral systems you've seen uh, and explain why you think that would be the best one to do in the United States. And every single year, the after learning all about every system, the one, the system that the students would pick would be some sort of ranked choice voting system. Sure. So yeah, so I got really excited. Like this is it, like this is, you know, this is a solution to a lot of different problems. Uh, and then in my city of Ferndale in 2004, um, we had a couple of local activists, uh, one of whom is now in city council, who got really excited about this and they actually uh, passed it um, for Ferndale uh, in 2004. So I worked on that campaign. Um, And then ever since I've been kind of interested in it, um, I worked on the anti-gerrymandering campaign that uh, Voters Not Politicians did in, in 2018. Um, and then shortly after, some people from Voters Not Politicians said they were also involved in this new group. Um, and I'd been looking for years for somebody who was going to take the leadership on this. And so, you know, here's this new organization, um, Rank My Vote, that is pursuing exactly the thing that I was really interested in. So, um, you know, it's been a lot of fun getting involved. Uh, and they've been kind enough to let me use the, the one thing that I enjoy the most, which is sort of teaching. Um, to to talk to audiences about this uh, this different way of voting
0: that's awesome so and voters not politicians was responsible for organizing the initiative that got us the independent redistricting Commission correct and absolutely and came with a lot of the policies about um, same day voter registration and all of those things that make it just basically make it easier for people to access voting and vote at their um, you know, in a way that's convenient and possible for them.
1: That's right. And just to give credit where it's due, the the same day voter stuff and those stuff, Voters Not Politicians was was excited about that, but that really was the work of the ACLU uh, and the League of Women Voters. Like they really, those organizations really pushed that one. Um, You know, and the two worked in tandem beautifully, like, you know, voters, not politicians did what nobody thought was possible. Um, And they, you know, they gathered over 400,000 signatures with no paid signature gatherers. And I think, you know, the, the league and the ACLU saw this in its early stages and thought, oh, my God, if this is possible, uh, you know, we can do this, and we can we can further that out. So you have this, like you know, one, two of proposition two and proposition three, and it really, it not only I think transformed the way we vote, but it transformed the way civic organizations in Michigan see it possible to actually make change by turning to the people um, when the politicians just aren't going to act on things. Yeah, and
0: um, and I, I'm someone who I firmly believe through everything that I've read and studied that a lot of our systems have flaws in them in terms of who has access and how that access um is distributed and who benefits from it and so um especially in a state like michigan where we have the ability to do ballot initiatives by organizing grassroots campaigns that's right that's that's really it's really awesome to know that there are people out there making this work because not every state obviously has that
1: that's right and i've and I have to say, I mean, one of the, I, I spend a lot of time, both in my research and, you know, in the, in the work that I do at Wayne and others, working with politicians, and I'm not one of those people who's really cynical about politicians. I actually, you know, in a huge percentage of the cases, find even the politicians I don't agree with, tend, they, they tend to want to do the right thing, they want to be involved, especially at the state and local level. Um, but there are certain things that politicians just aren't good at, and that r- really involves changing the system that got them elected in the first place. Like, if you got elected by a system, you don't have much incentive to monkey around with it, because that's just going to make your life more difficult. Right, And
0: for sure. that's
1: exactly where referendums come in. Like, referendums are built in. And, you know, the, the the Constitution of the state of Michigan is built in by saying that power is inherent in the people. And there are just some things that political leaders... From both sides, from any side, they're just not going to have that incentive to make those changes. And so sometimes you got to turn to the people. And that was true in Prop 2 and 3 in, in 2018. And it's going to be true, I think, with the ranked choice voting in, in 2022.
0: Awesome. So 2022 is kind of the goal for when we we would... Look to have this on the ballot. Perfect. That's a,
1: yeah. That's exactly the goal. So you know, I, uh, when when Rank My Vote um, has been doing its work of late, I think we we've looked to voters and politicians as a model for kind of how to do this. Um, you know, interestingly, uh, if you look at the parallel situation, voters and politicians got started in 2016. So uh, almost exactly four years ago. And four years ago, right now. Um, Voters Not Politicians was a very loose-knit group of people who had, you know, signed up because of one Facebook post by by Katie Fahey who organized it, um, you know. And so they were just finding their feet this time four years ago. Um, rank, rank rank, My Vote has been around now for, for over two years in kind of organized form. And so, you know, I think they're looking forward to say, you know, we've learned from others and we've kind of got our feet under us. Uh, and so we're in a position to sort of move, you know, move forward pretty quickly.
0: That's awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about rank choice voting sure. and kind of what it is and how it works. Um, so for those that are listening that may not be familiar, Rank My Vote is Rank M-I, M-I. Vote right. because it's the Michigan Initiative. Um, and you can find more info at rankmyvote.com, which I'll include some info in our summary of this episode. Um, but can you just talk a little bit about, so what is ranked choice voting and how does it play out? So in a very basic
1: sense, ranked choice voting is just a small, but we think powerful tweak uh, to the way that we vote right now in the United States that allows voters to give more information about what they want and provides an effective system for counting that information. Uh, And it's all based on the notion that our human brains are constantly engaged in ranking things like we know what we like most what we like second most what we like third most you know whenever we do a queue on netflix or you know another streaming service whenever we go to a restaurant we kind of have a sense of you know what's the first thing we would choose well if we can't have that what's the second thing and so on so you know we're constantly doing this in our head and we almost never have an idea in our head that, well, I want this one, and if I can't have that one, I don't want anything. Like, if, if the thing that I want isn't on the menu, we don't usually leave the restaurant. Uh, uh, and so, th- those things are there in our brain, um, and those often, uh, they, they, in the current system, they get completely ignored. I mean, you're allowed to say your first choice, but then everything else that you have in your head just, just gets completely ignored. Ranked choice voting lets you actually rank them. And if I could, if you could see a ballot, um, there's one, uh, there's a sample one on the website that everyone can look at. Um, But imagine the current ballot that has a list of names and next to it a list of little circles for you to fill in. Um, Really, all you're doing in the current ballot is filling in your first choice. So, what if? In addition to that column of circles, there was another column of circles that was shaded, and then another column that was shaded, in another little bit darker shade, and so on. And there was a column for every candidate, for every, so, you know, if you had five candidates, you had five columns, and in the first, in the first uh, column, you marked the person that you liked the most, and in the second column, you liked the person that you liked the second most, and third, fourth, all the way down, if you want to. Or if you don't want to, if you get down to the fourth candidate and say there's no real difference between the fourth and fifth candidates, you just stop. That's how you vote in the system. And then the system has a nice way of counting, a kind of regularized way of of taking that information in. So what it does is to, to look at all of the candidates and it counts up the number of first rankings. So the number of people who ranked candidate A first, the number of people who ranked candidate B first and C first and so on. Uh, And then it just says, hey, let's imagine that the candidate at the bottom of the list, the one with the fewest votes, the smallest chance of winning, you know, let's just imagine that person didn't run. So we're going to kind of remove that person from the from the list. uh, And now that we've done that ranked counting, we actually know who that candidate E, uh, who they would have voted for if candidate E hadn't run because they listed it on their ballot. And so we do that and we see, we take those votes for candidate E and we redistribute them to the other candidates according to who they would have chosen second if they couldn't get candidate E. And then we see if anybody's got a majority. If Nobody's got a majority. We do that to the fourth ranked candidate. If that, nobody's got a majority there, we do that to the third ranked candidate. By the time we've done it to the third ranked candidate, we're
0: down to just two. So someone will have a majority. So the, yeah, so the basic and when you say majority, that's fit over fifty percent. That's right. So it's that's designed right. to to allow people to choose candidates that, um, you know, a lot of times people say like a wasted vote yep. if you're voting for a third party. Like you could vote for that third party, and then your second choice could be you know the other candidate that you would next most want to win so that your your vote wouldn't be quote unquote wasted by voting for that third party candidate
1: that's absolutely right That's absolutely right and the idea here you know what we what we find there are two really big sort of killer reasons why we think People, we should do this in Michigan. And the first one is exactly the wasted vote phenomena that you that you talked about. I mean, constantly when we go around, you know, we went around the state before COVID. Now we go around virtually with these town halls um, that we're doing. And constantly what we hear people saying is, I like I like candidates who are not one of the two major party candidates or in primaries, you know, I like I like candidates who aren't, you know, one of the dominant candidates. But I feel like if I don't vote for the candidate uh, who has a chance of winning, who is maybe I hate the least, I feel like if I don't do that, then I'm going to be helping the candidate that I hate the most. Sure. Uh, and so you know, because somehow it's going to, it's going to, you know, it's it's going to make sure that that candidate wins and not the candidate you really, the candidate you really like. What ranked choice voting allows you to do is to really. Avoid that entirely because if you vote for the candidate you love, and that candidate you love isn't one you know isn't on the list, then your vote is automatically going to get redistributed to the next candidate that you like the most. So you know it's a it's a kind of safety net. You can vote for the candidate you love and still vote next for the candidate that you 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 dislike the least in a sense. Um, uh, and and you can prevent the election of the candidate or try to prevent the election of the candidate you dislike the most. Sure. For us, that's huge. Like, that really is something that, you know, it completely gets lost in the American system. Um, There are other countries with other systems where, where... you don't have to make those kinds of agonizing choices. And, you know, one of the things that happens is people just get kind of fed up because they feel like they're being forced to do this. They get, they get really insulted. You know, people say they're wasting their vote. People, uh, you know, say that they're just, that they're throwing it away. You get told like, oh, vote for the lesser evil. Um, you know, all this kind of stuff around not voting for the, for the dominant candidate. And you know, frankly, in the way we in the system we have now, it does make a certain kind of logical sense. If you really dislike someone, it makes sort of logical sense to sort of hold your nose and vote for the, for the, for the candidate you dislike the least as opposed to the one you love
0: the most. Sure, because uh, because they're most likely to get the most votes out of those maybe two major candidates. That's right. Um, that's right. Another couple uh, benefits that I've I've heard and from one of the town halls I just dis- are that I attended, um, this was talked about that it also um, helps prevent candidates from getting so polarized in the sense that um, you're you know whoever. When you're campaigning, knowing that the rank choice voting is a thing, you're you do, you want to do your best to not alienate the voters or alienate other candidates because you would hope that those those candidates and those candidates' voters might choose you as their second choice to help boost you if you're one of the top candidates. Absolutely,
1: um, absolutely, and that it, and that really is. I mean, if you think about it logically, in the sense that. You know, if, if you're running in a race um, and, uh, you know, your, your voters can only choose one person and, you know, if you're running in a, in a multi-candidate race, especially like a primary, um, sure. you know, you think about what happens in those cases um, when you're running. The biggest threat to you isn't the candidate who you dislike on the way other side of, of, of the race. Um, the candidate that you as a candidate have to really fight against is the one who's right next door to you, the one that shares all of your positions, because those are the ones who are going to steal your voters and whose voters you're going to try and steal. And so you get this like bitter conflict among people who actually agree pretty strongly with one another. I mean, in the last, you know, in the last Democratic presidential campaign, there was some pretty bitter uh, competition between, say, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, when, you know, on 95% of things, they had had a lot in common. Um, Right.
0: It felt like the Hunger Games at times, because you could tell that the candidates were trying to lob things at others to try and knock them down a peg yep. or two Absolutely. so that they could emerge the victor
1: oh that's they that's should have great, been
0: working together
1: that's a great analogy and the hunger games you know only had 12 different or 13 different different uh regions uh, that's not the word for the what did they call it in districts yeah Say 13 different districts right we had 19 people in this democratic race um and so or 20 some at some point um so but what happens in ranked choice voting is. Um, you don't have to do, first of all, you don't have to do that um, because your your voters, um, you know, can vote for for that, for you first and that candidate second. And what's really interesting is you actually have an appeal, you have a reason to be positive about the next candidate. So, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, for example, could have each said about the other, you know, I want you to vote for me. But if, you know, if you can't vote if you can't vote for me first, at least vote for me second. So, you know, if Warren could say, you know, I I want Bernie voters, you know, pick me. If you really can't put your heart in it to pick me, fine, pick Bernie first, but put me second. Right, And I love what Bernie stands for. Bernie loves what I stand for. It really changes it. And it's not just kind of theory. Like we actually have studies, uh, a group called Fair Vote uh, did an analysis of seven different cities where ranked choice voting is used. It's being used in lots of different cities around the country. Um, And in the seven cities, they found, I think in each one, uh, they found a statistically significant reduction in the perception of voters of negative campaigning, of attack ads, and so on. Um, sure. And so, you know, it just it it takes that it takes that edge away. Um, and it, it does encourage some, some more positive campaigning, you know, it's not the only thing that can solve positive campaigning and won't but solve everything, but it's one everything. important, but item it's that one important. Sure. and we're at such a state that we cannot afford not to use any art, you know, any weapon in the arsenal to get, sure. to get things better.
0: Yeah. Um, so how does, we, we've talked a little bit about how, um, Rank choice voting can bring in some other of like the the smaller name candidates or third party candidates, and how that can help lift them up a little bit as well. Um, what happens in races where maybe you have multiple open seats? Um, yeah. So you know, elect two out of the following six candidates. How does does rank choice voting still work for that type of system? Absolutely. So there are
1: actually a couple of different ways to do it. Um, You know, uh, in Ireland and in the Australian Senate, uh, they have something that's formally called multi-member rank choice in political science literature. It's called single transferable vote. Um, and uh, it's just a slightly different counting mechanism, but actually, ranked ranked choice voting is really well designed um, to work with multiple candidates. In some ways, even better, you know, than than the current system, uh, because right now, when you have multiple candidates, what tends to happen is, you know, all of the candidates from one side tend to win rather than to getting a kind of proportional distribution. Um, so, you know, in this case, it's like ranked choice voting and multiple members, they're sort of made for each other. Like, you know, one without the other um, isn't even quite as good, but especially, you know, a a multiple uh, candidate election or multiple winner election is going to be really much worse unless you're using some kind of rank ranked voting. So there is a kind of formal mathematical process um, that, you, that you can use. Uh, and then there is actually a kind of simpler version um, where you actually simply run, you basically run the election with ranked choice voting, you elect a candidate, uh, and then you actually just pretend that candidate didn't run when you elect the second one. So it's a kind of, you know, you you use the same preferences that are involved, and you basically just run the Run the numbers twice. Kind
0: of sequence it for sequence it. two that different
1: we, winners. Sure, and we've been okay. calling it sequential, you know, sequential um, rank choice voting. So you do one candidate, you figure out who wins, um, and then you just kind of ignore those preferences for that candidate when you run it the second time.
0: Wonderful, awesome. Yeah, so um, it works.
1: Uh, it works on that. The one other thing, actually, that that I wanted to say, you had talked a little bit about third, you know. Um, third-party candidates and the effect that this has on third-party candidates or those more obscure candidates in, uh, in in primaries. And, you know, a couple of things happen in this system. First thing that happens is it very rarely, but every once in a while, um, what we find out uh, is that the people who are perceived as third or fourth choice candidates, they actually if you, if you really, if people really thought they had a chance to win, they would be the first or second choice. So, you kind of get this weird you know, thing where people say, I'm going to vote for the Democrat or I'm, or I'm going to vote for the Republican. But in certain circumstances, it turns out that there may be an independent or a green or a libertarian who's actually more popular, but people don't list them on their you know, public opinion polling or other things because they don't think they have any chance of winning. But it turns out that when you actually like, let people choose behind the, you know, behind the secrecy of the voting, that actually, as long as they don't have to worry about who's going to win, sometimes they actually end up picking those third-party candidates. And you even end up
0: seeing a lot more support for those for other ideas and ways of viewing things that's than right. just either or Democrat or Republican. That's
1: right. And even when they don't win, one of the really important things is you 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 start to see more uh, expressed preferences for them. So right now, you know, there is a certain level of preference for the Green Party. There is a certain preference, level of preference for the Libertarian Party for some independent candidates. But in public opinion polling, those numbers get really muted because people don't want to say one of those two can one of those non-major party candidates um, because you know they're 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 used to voting for the person who can win rather than these these smaller party candidates. If you take away the incentive to vote for the winner for who you think is going to be the winner first, and you let people vote for who who their heart tells them first. You actually get a lot more people saying, you know, I'm gonna vote for the Libertarian, I'm gonna vote for the Green, I'm gonna vote for this Independent. Um, and so it actually bumps up the numbers of those candidates. Um, one of the interesting things that can come out of this is those candidates can get allowed to participate in debates because they have more public opinion preferences and that's one of the standards that's often just used for whether someone can participate in the debates. Those parties can raise more money because they show that they got actually 7% in the most recent election and not the the 3% um, that's there at 3% only because the other 4% felt they had to vote for one of the major party candidates.
0: Yeah, and I can see where that even gets more policies on a variety of, of viewpoints enacted because you can see the actual uh, support behind yep. different parties and what their platforms are, et cetera, and see that it's a larger pool than just you know one to 3% in whatever states that third party candidate happens to make it out of the ballot and so that's,
1: forth. So. That's right. And you know, politics is always a game of coalitions. It's oh, it's never about, you know, solid blocks of 52% of the population or, you know, uh, it's always about, you know, this group constitutes 30% and this group may be 18% and this group will bring another 5%. Well, in our current system, all of those kind of internal differences um, they tend to get obscured and the little ones tend to get ignored, even if they play potentially a crucial role in forming that coalition. Sure. Uh, and so what, what tends to happen in ranked choice voting is those voices get are, are, are more easily expressed. Um, and uh, you know, we like to, we, we use the tagline more choices, more voices, um, because it really does allow those additional um, those additional Additional preferences to, to sort of show up publicly. And it, it doesn't mean usually that it eviscerates the, the two major parties. In Malta, they've been using this for almost 100 years and they've got a really strong two-party system. But what it does mean uh, is that those other voices, you know, can, can work their way into the system. And it, it also means that, you know, the, the two major parties, they have to work a little bit harder you know, to, to persuade people to what they, right now they have a kind of duopoly, right? It's one or the other. Um, and, you know, in this new system, you, you gotta, you're going to have to reach out to people who, uh, you know, are only vaguely in support of what, or only prefer you because the other side is so bad. Um, but, you I don't see that as a real disadvantage. Like I think, you know, I think our politicians are good enough. They have enough, you know, they have enough integrity, they have enough intelligence to work to work hard enough to win the votes that right now some of which they get just because they're kind of granted this duopoly from from the way the system works.
0: Yeah, I could see this uh, rank choice voting going a long way and really getting politicians to campaign and by expressing their own ideas. So people actually know what it is that you actually stand for instead of just saying, oh, you're this party and so therefore you must take this entire litany platform or you know be your candidacy is affecting other people from the party who are in other wings so yeah it i i I would really like to see more campaigning like ads where they're talking about what they stand for rather yep. than attacking all of the other candidates. That's right. And and ranked choice voting
1: does help does help with that. One of the really interesting things that uh, that happened as we were if we've been investigating this um, is that you know we've had a, a lot of conversations with um, people from the Green Party um, and uh, uh, you know other kind of the major parties but or the minor parties but we also ended up having a conversation in November um, uh, with the the former chair of the Utah Republican Party. It turns out the Utah Republican Party loves ranked choice voting. Um, it allows them to find the candidate within the party with who, who actually has a majority. And that's one of the things we really haven't talked about. I mean, you know, the system that we've described, you can only win if you, if you end up with a majority, not just more votes than every other candidate running, but actually uh, more votes than half. Um, and you know, so that's a, that's a big deal. Um, but the, the Utah Republican Party really uses this because they say that it has precisely those, um, those kinds of effects. And they have, no, they have no doubts that they can use this system and they can you know, do what the system requires. Um, and one of the interesting things that the, this chair of the party told us um, was that in the state of Maine, we haven't really talked about where it's being used right now. Maybe we can get into that. Yeah. But you know, it's being used in the state of Maine right now. Um, there was a Republican and a Democrat running um, for a, a really close House seat. Um, and our guy from Utah said, hey, we reached out to the Republican because um, we thought we could help him. And he just wasn't interested in hearing what we had to do. Um, you know, whereas the Democrat actually got what this system was about. He understood that Ranked Choice Voting wasn't just you know, negative campaign against your opponents. He, he sure. actually reached out to the independents When they actually ended up doing the final voting, neither the Republican or Democrat had a majority. So they went to those minor candidates and said, who would you vote for next? Uh, And it turned out that the independents opted overwhelmingly uh, for the Democrat in that case, not because it's necessarily a more Democratic district than a Republican one, but because the Democratic candidate had actually reached out to those independents and said, here's why you should vote for me second.
0: Um, and, sure. uh, and just for just for clarity, they didn't no. go to the candidates to ask the candidates who they wanted. They right. you when you say that you mean they looked at the ballots of those voters who chose that's, that. That's right? exactly. And then, yes, I should be more clear. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I just right. wanted to clarify no, just
1: you're for... absolutely right No, No, when they you know, when they when they when they looked at it, and then the candidates, you know, were the ones who were there out there trying to persuade voters vote for me second um, and
0: it worked out it was pretty amazing. Very interesting. So it sounds like this: the system doesn't benefit necessarily one one of the two major political parties uh, more than the other. It's it's really it is a nonpartisan, fair game type of situation. That's, the one thing that I am yeah. curious about that I I, because I've I've read some books and seen some documentaries t- that talk about, um, for example, black black candidates in the South mm. who have you know, been able to win certain elections, but oftentimes not, you know, you think about states like Alabama and Mississippi, right? Um, but have not necessarily won with over 50% of the vote. And right. some of the um, the laws in places like Georgia, where you have, you know, runoff elections that come if nobody gets 50%, can sound at face value like a really great system. But at, on the flip side can sometimes, you know, uh, prevent minority candidates from being able to be elected in, in places where there maybe is, um, significant opposition to a particular racial group, you know, racism and things like that. So what, if anything, do you know about how this system might affect those types of situations? That's
1: a, that's a really good point. And, you know, I think it's it's fair to note that, you know, every electoral system is going to come with some pluses and some minuses. You know, the thing about ranked choice voting is that it does tend to produce majority winners. Um, and if you have a majority of the population that is deeply polarized along racial lines or, or, or something else, at least a single winner ranked choice voting is going to tend to, you know, produce um, those uh, those kinds of results, but what's happened already in places like Georgia and and elsewhere um, is that because you have the existing runoff, um, you know the 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 candidates tend to sort of um, uh, the the voters tend to polarize around those those racial issues, you know already. Um, so you're right to note that it, it produces majorities. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that when Alabama, when Georgia, when other States start to think about this kind of implementation, um, they're going to need to think about that, you know, and, uh, and some of these States do actually have, you know, organizations trying to do exactly the same thing we're doing. Although I, I don't think Alabama or Mississippi have, have, uh, have right now a, a pro rank choice voting um, uh, organization. What's, Interesting though is that first of all, um, a multi-winner, a uh, ranked choice voting, will produce exactly the opposite effect. A multi-winner will actually uh, uh, tend to produce um, uh, election results that look like the population overall. So that if you were to have, you know, sort of forty percent African Americans, you would get closer to forty percent of African Americans being elected than you would. It's part of the problem in any single-winner system. It's going to, you know, you can only pick one for any given district. Sure. Um, So for example, um, the city of East Point, um, uh, right next to the Gross Points, right next to Detroit has had um, for a long time, uh, 40 years, um, a significant African-American minority population. uh, But uh, because of that kind of vote splitting and, and, and kind of rallying around effect that we talked about. Um, East Point has gone for, for that entire period almost without a single African-American member of council anywhere on council. Um, and it's really interesting that you know, the, the um, members of the African-American community in the city uh, 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 brought a lawsuit uh, around that, and said that the you know the election system that they used in East Point was actually advantaging the the majority white population unduly. The court agreed with them, uh, and what we found actually was uh, that the court opted for ranked choice voting as the remedy um, for that that segregation.
0: And I can oh. definitely see that in those multi multi candidate situations. Um, and I think you know the argument can be made that democracy survives with having people who are who the majority of a particular community wants. And also my thoughts on this would be that ranked choice voting is not the only change that's needed to our electoral system. It's one of many changes including some of the things that uh, Voters Not Politicians has addressed like you know, targeting gerrymandering, which I'm actually going to be doing an episode on gerrymandering as well. I'm glad. Um, As well as, you know, things like voter suppression and, you know, a a lot of the great work that Stacey Abrams has been doing, you know, and you see someone like Raphael Warnock um, at the top of the ticket in this runoff and so forth. Um, So I think that there are other things that can be done. I just wanted to ask about that because I know Uh, that that's a concern. It's a Um, Great but question. N- like you Wanna, said, no one system is going to have all of the solutions to everything.
1: That's right. And you know, and I appreciate that. And I think it's really, it's we've we've really um, made it a point of pride um, to try and look at the system objectively. You know, to not make claims for it that that don't exist, um, but to be able to say that you know, on balance. um, It seems to solve some of these, you know, some of these really big problems. The interesting thing, it's a little bit like the gerrymandering situation where, you know, we've looked at the, we've looked at it from a whole bunch of different sides. uh, And what we constantly find ourselves saying with gerrymandering, people say, well, what about this? What, what, won't this cause a problem or won't there be a problem there with that, the independent commission and so on. Um, And the answer was almost invariably, well, it's, it's, you know, there may be certain parts that aren't ideal, but the worst case scenario is actually what we're doing right now
0: like right. you know at, right. at
1: its at its worst you know the the solution to to the gerrymandering problem looks like the status quo at its worst you know at its absolute worst ranked choice voting the things that are wrong with it at its worst are the things that are endemic in our system right now absolutely uh, i would agree with that that says something to me like you know
0: yeah.
1: um uh, you know <laughs> it, it it doesn't get much worse than you know, than than what we do. And I know people are, you know, they're proud of this country. They're proud of its long history of democracy. Um, But I think it's really important to remember that we adopted our election rules uh, because we were an early adopter, really. We were, you know, one of the first countries in the world to do this system-wide and we adopted our rules from Britain. Um, You know, what we adopted was a pretty simple system based on pretty, low levels of resources and you know, low computational abilities um, you know, by the systems. Uh, and you know, in, the, in the 240 years since we started our procedures for voting, the world, including the United States, has invented better ways of doing this. These aren't just like static things. They're not just you know, kind of the you know, things that were sent down from heaven. These are technologies too. They're technologies of figuring out what people
0: want. Sure. Um, yeah, the U.S., I, it's interesting you, you talk about technology, because the U.S., I think technology is the one thing that the U.S. has no problem taking leaf, leaves out of other countries' books right. when it comes to technology. Right. But with just about anything politically, yep. we don't seem to be super interested, except in certain pockets, like you talked right. about in Maine and certain cities. Like, like, I didn't know that Ferndale had ranked choice voting enacted right. and so forth. And so that kind of brings me to my next question in terms of how this gets enacted when you look at a large scale. Obviously, every state has its own way of conducting federal elections, um, things like that. Uh, So some localities have done it. My assumption being that those are only for local elections. Um, How does this get enacted for, how is it different for if we want this to start this, say in Royal Oak, we right. want to do this at local elections. How does it look if we say, okay, we want to do this statewide. And then how does it look if we want to do this for federal elections and not just state? Right. So um, let me start at the, at the, at the federal level,
1: then I'm going to jump. Sorry, I know local, that's a jump lot. Up. <laughs> well, no, no, it's great. Um, the one really interesting thing about the United States is that, we do not have technically any federal level elections that are sort of governed federally. You know, it's really interesting that all of our um, members of Congress, members of the Senate um, are are elected by systems that states adopt, not by the system that the federal government requires. Um, sure. And uh, even the president of the United States, you know, the one nationally, you know, uh, across every state, elected person actually is elected by electors uh, who are elected uh, by at the state level. So really, we yeah the
0: electoral college. Yeah, yeah.
1: There is no there is no mechanism. Um, for uh, any kind of nationwide you would need I think a constitutional amendment and and then even that would be super tricky, sure, but states have the ability i mean the really interesting thing about the heavily decentralized United States is that states have the ability um, to make a wide range of decisions about their voting systems uh, so um, the state of Michigan can choose within certain limits, can choose almost any system that it that it wants to. Um, and our example uh, that we're looking at, actually, two examples now are Maine uh, and Alaska. Uh, Maine passed this in 2016. Um, and so Maine elects its um, members of the US House and US Senate its member the members of its state House um, State House of Representatives and Senate uh, and its electors actually. Um, it elects those right now on the basis of of ranked choice voting. Uh, Alaska just voted um, in uh, 2020 to do the same thing. So we'll actually have two different states now um, that are doing this. Massachusetts came sort of heartbreakingly close, like 45 percent to 55, um, you know, in a time when, because of COVID, it was really hard to do the kind of detailed day to day campaigning that you need to sure. do to persuade people about it, you know changing this kind of basic system. Um, so. You know the the mechanism is there. Um, this would require a change to the state, almost assuredly, require a change to the state constitution, uh, and uh, so any change like that has to go through the voters, either um, by legislation that's passed by the the state house and senate and the governor, or that is simply brought up as a referendum from below with with signatures gathered. So what we're we're envisioning. Uh, is that we will need, we're going to talk to our state reps and, and state senators, uh, and we'd like them to be able to pass this. There actually has been legislation in the state house for quite some time uh, that just kind of sits there, doesn't get moved on. Um, but uh, we're going to talk to them and see. But if they're not willing to pass this, um, then we go out there, do exactly what Voters not Politicians did and what the League of Women Voters and the ACLU did, uh, which is to gather uh, five, 600,000 signatures uh, in, in the coming year. Uh, hopefully, once you know, once people are vaccinated and we've got enough immunity, we can get out there like like groups normally do. Uh, there's a time limit for you know how long you can gather those those signatures, but we gather uh, you know six hundred thousand signatures, then we submit those to the board of the canvassers and board of canvassers and get our language on the ballot uh, for twenty twenty
0: two. That's the and then part. it would just come down to educating people so then they are aware comes- of of what that. Yeah. So okay, and because it's a constitutional amendment that would likely be required, it would. T- probably require a larger majority That's, in the, the Senate and the House, rather than just a simple majority, uh, because those changes typically, I think it's three-fourths of a majority, um, two-thirds or three-fourths, you know, depending I on the should state. I
1: should know this, but, uh, you know, I do, yeah, it does require those those votes, and then it requires, you know, that that would simply be sending it to the voters. You know, we had actually a couple of really um, obscure uh Constitutional amendments on the ballot for those of you who you know flipped to the back of the ballot in November of this year, uh, and so um, you know it would require it would require doing that um, for the ordinary um, uh, constitutional amendment referendum. Uh, it's 10% of the vote for the governor. Uh, in the previous election, so actually, ten people voted for governor in 2018. So the numbers have gone up from the uh, from the numbers uh, that we had with voters now politicians. But I think it's you know it's in the mid f- uh, fives, mid 500,000s that we. In would, terms of
0: signatures to in get. In terms it, of signatures to get, to get, it, to get it, it on the ballot.
1: That. That's sure. It. That's right. You asked one other question, which is a question of localities, Uh, and interestingly, Ferndale, my community, has it on the books, but we haven't been able to use it, Um, and we weren't able to use it for the first 12 years because the voting machines that the city had simply didn't accommodate it. Um, Now we have voting machines that will accommodate it, but those voting machines need to be certified. Uh, And so we're still uh, trying to work with the Secretary of State's office and the state legislature um, to actually get that certified. So actually um, the city and county clerks in East Point, in Ferndale, uh, in other places have uh, now gone to the the state legislature and asked them to clarify the legality around this so that those machines can be certified and so on. We'd like to, when we when we go to the ballot, if that hasn't been clarified by the state legislature, we wanna make sure that um, it's clarified there. So the basic idea would be in a referendum would be to do what Maine does and mandate um, that state uh, offices, um, uh, statewide offices, the state house, the state senate, um, and our members of the house and the senate in Washington and our electors um, and other statewide offices, governor, Um, and uh, the various trustees for the universities and so on, that those offices would be elected by ranked choice voting. uh, And then to allow counties and cities to do it if they want to. So not
0: to force them to do it. Okay, Um, so it would be kind of an opt-in for those localities. That's right. so one thing that that brings up, because I was thinking about that, is you know like Ferndale, of course, they passed it for local elections. So when there are the capabilities for machines to do that, um, how how do they do balloting in a case where you still have to choose one for state level positions, but then you have local elected positions? That allow ranked would it require having two separate
1: ballots nope. or same ballot same ballot? I mean, there's there's just it's just based on good ballot design. Um, but yeah, no, you can actually, it's not a problem at all to just run your, your single. And then, because basically it looks exactly the same, like it, it looks exactly like, um, you know, with the list of names and then a, a series of, of, of circles. They and just it wouldn't just, count beyond the first. They, well, well, so you would actually, I guess you would have two different parts of the same ballot. Um, but, um, You know, so you could have just, you know, one column for the for the statewide and the national races, and then for the local races you just have multiple columns of circles for first, second, third choice. So yeah, okay. simple stuff. You know, um, uh, ballot design—it turns out is a is a minor art. Like there are people <laughs> whose job it is to make sure that your ballot is as clear and meaningful as possible. You know, we saw way back in the 2000 election when you know Florida, some counties in Florida used the butterfly ballot, which was super unclear and may have you know flipped the election for one candidate or the other. Um, so you got to make sure your design is good, but that's true all the, anyway.
0: Yeah, and even I know, like um, in the past, there were concerns about like if they people used a permanent marker on yep. an absentee, would it bleed through? And yep. then they designed the ballot, so there exactly. weren't positions that could bleed through. So yeah, there's there's ballot scientists, if you will, that are yep. out there designing those types of things. Absolutely. Um, all right, so that helps talk about uh, state level, local level, uh, federal elections, which are conducted state by state. Um, we've already talked about some of the other states and localities that have this model, so it's already being demonstrated elsewhere, so we have models and legislation to go off of.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and if I can just add to that, so, you know, it's, it's interesting that it, uh, it's been used in Cambridge, Massachusetts now for um, almost a century. Um, I think about 80 years. Um, and then you know it was tried in Ann Arbor. Uh, it actually worked. It did exactly what it was supposed to do, um, which is why the, the sore losers sort of banded together and uh, in the next low turnout election uh, managed to get a repeal on the ballot and get it repealed. But Ann Arbor is looking at it again. Um, as are, we've had a lot of talk with people from uh, places like Lansing, Kalamazoo, um, uh, so, you know, there are people from different places who are, who are, who are really intrigued about, about doing this in, in Michigan. And then, you know, then around the country, um, Portland, Maine, and a bunch of cities in Massachusetts, like Cambridge, uh, and then there are these clusters. So there's a cluster around Minneapolis and St. Paul, and then a bunch of, uh, suburbs, uh, actually a couple of them, both just recently passed it. Uh, interestingly, uh, it went five for five in localities across the country in November, 2020. So it, it passed in all five of those. All five of the places, including Boulder, Colorado. So, there are a bunch of places in Boulder that use it, places in Utah that use it, a bunch of places in California that use it. um So, you know, there are these kind of clusters. And what's really interesting to us is you know, it shows us that once one community sort of gets the ball rolling, the next door communities look at that and say, hey,
0: I want some of that. That's pretty cool. Sure. Yeah, yes. it helps to educate people if they're getting practice on some of these yep. local elections as well. Absolutely. So I know one of the things that we're, when you come talk to the Dem Club in Royal Oak um, next month, that one of the things that uh, we're kind of considering is how to support this initiative. And is this something that could be done at the local level? And yep. how would that go, be gone about? So correct me if I'm wrong, but my assumption would be that it would be one of two ways either our city commission could vote that into a change based on our election procedures for the city, or they could put it up as a ballot, a local ballot initiative for voters, um, to be able to vote on, um, which would probably require some signature gathering and so forth to get it on there. Is that, yeah,
1: that's a great question. I think it depends on your own city charter, you know, so I know in Ferndale, um, we, uh, our our, um, our city um, council voted to put it on the ballot, but I think because it was a change in the city charter, it actually required uh, it required a public vote. Okay, um, so and it was, it'll vary yeah, a little bit. I think of, it'll yeah I it'll see. really depend depend on whether it's a charter question and then what the standards are for changing the charter.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, all right. Is it um, since we talked a little bit about like changing the ballots and things like that? Is it in your um, from your knowledge and where it's being currently used any more expensive or complicated to use um, ranked choice voting equipment and tabulators um, than standard standard machines? You know the the, the differences
1: are pretty marginal. Um, you know there there is a concern. Um, I think a, a very well-meant concern by some observers that you know when you when you ask people to change their style of voting, uh, it's just it's more complicated. You know, it it can seem confusing, right? Anytime you ask people to do anything differently, um, the initial evidence that we've got uh, suggests, and you know, this from 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 fairly well fairly well um, sort of designed studies, um, that the the level of complexity doesn't necessarily increase. Uh, so, um, you know, when people are surveyed about their experience with ranked choice voting, um, when when they look at like the numbers of blank ballots and other indicators that things are more complicated or problematic, we just don't see the the kind of evidence that would suggest that people are finding this confusing. Uh, and the the few surveys we have of people, um, uh, you know, when they come out of the the Ballot booth when they're surveyed afterward um, is that they don't they don't find it any more confusing. We actually had people out um, after, at the uh, at the first use of this in East Point. The voters we talked to were you know some said I didn't even really notice a difference. You know it, it just it made perfect sense. Um, Kansas did a survey. Kansas the Kansas Democratic Party actually used this for its primaries. Um, that's a big application of this, I think, is for these really big primaries. You know, you've got 20, 30 people running. You got to have some way to narrow it down without just making it almost random who wins or loses. Uh, and so, uh, when Kansas asked their um, their party members, the people who'd voted in the primary about this, um, they reported really high levels of satisfaction. Um, so, you know, you tend to see that high levels of satisfaction, higher levels of turnout. Um, Because of this. So, you know, in theory, it's slightly more complex, but it seems like people are really able to adapt to that. In counting terms, it really doesn 't increase the complexity at all the The systems themselves are um, are set up, so there is a a software like a, a switch that you can flip uh, in the voting machines that are used in the state. Um, those machines will talk to one another, so if you have multiple you know if you have uh, levels above the uh, the local level doing this, you can aggregate all those votes together, even if you have different kinds of machines. Um, and so there doesn't seem to be any issue. And what's really nice about ranked choice voting is that you can actually do a hand count because you're simply moving ballots around. Um, so sure. you, you, you pile them up according to your first choice ranks, but then you subdivide them in each first choice ranks according to who the second choice vote is. Um, and then you you look at the bottom of the pile with the fewest ballots, and then you read- And then you just back. reapportion them you to the re, other, you, yeah. You just move them around. You don't have to change the ballot. You don't have to modify anything. You just move them around. Well, and when um, you
0: talk about the primary, one thing that I think this solves also is I remember uh, voting in the Democratic primary in Michigan. And because of where Michigan Michigan falls in terms of the order of states voting. Yep. I mean, yes. the ballots had already been printed, but however many of these candidates had already dropped out. And so you really had to know who was still in and you had to, yep. if you cast your vote too early, and then that person, you know, if you're doing absentee, and then that person drops out, now suddenly you've got your one vote that you had doesn't matter anymore and yeah, so that's... ranked choice voting would allow you in those instances to also allow those votes to still count right that's a really good point. And especially,
1: I don't think we're ever going to go back to the day when less than 40% of the people do mail-in voting. I mean, I think that's with us sure. to state. People have realized that it works. So you raise a really good point that the 2024 election is probably going to have a massive number of candidates. Um, it's going to have you know, uh, a lot of early voting. Um, a lot of those candidates are going to drop out. So that's really a killer reason to do this. Um, at least to give it a try, you know, uh, at least for the Democratic Party, which could just do it on its own. And that's another thing. You know, you wouldn't you could actually have the various parties give this a try um, like Kansas did, like Alaska did, a couple of other states. Um, uh, and just to, to show that this could actually work, because um, that's really going to be a problem. You're absolutely right. I had not, And Michigan comes right at that point in the election cycle where people drop out. Right, right like it's, right. it's not the first so that everybody's in and it's not the last so that all all of them are out it's like right in that kind of that unsweet spot you know where people are dropping left and right
0: right and even for the in person voting it's not like the localities have time to reprint thousands yep. of ballots based on you know people that drop out and they have to have their stuff prepped within a certain time frame before conducting the election so it that's just, such a good it, idea. Yeah, yeah, you're
1: absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Um, and uh, I think that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking about that because that's actually a really good point.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so how can people get more involved? I have listeners that um, live in Michigan. I have some that I'm sure live outside Michigan who might like to figure out how to get involved in their states, I, I don't know what guidance you might have, just in terms of generally, if people are really interested in in ranked choice voting. Obviously, if they're in Michigan, there's the website. Um, do yeah, you have so, town I mean, halls and things?
1: We do. So we do. We do two. We do two hall two, two town halls every month, um, and we are just in the process of scheduling those for uh, January. But we will we will do uh, two. So you can find us in a, a bunch of different ways. Uh, we're at at rank my vote. Uh, rankmivote.com uh, and .org so either one will will take you to us. Um, we're also on Facebook under that same name and actually if you go to Facebook um, we do we live cast uh, our um, our town halls on Facebook as well. Awesome. Um, so you can actually see some past town halls if you want. Uh, but um, so that's true. And then if you're interested in it or, you know, if, uh, if you know, if you want to see one of those presentations, those are archived online, but you're also welcome to join a, a, a live one where we'll, you know, we'll answer your questions live. Uh, but you can actually just reach out to the organization uh, and we will, you know, we will talk to, we'll talk to anyone. You got any local groups or organizations that would like to see a presentation on this? We'll, we'll do that. Uh, we're, we're really eager at this point to reach out to anyone who's interested. So, um, that would be, you know, one way of, of getting involved. And, uh, um, you know, A lot of the material that's up on our website, I think would sort of lead people into it and then they could follow on. A lot of times people read that and you know, then they immediately jump to say, hey, I wanna do something about this. How do I get involved? So there are lots of different things. We're building uh, chapters all across the state at this point. Some of them are really active and, and uh, you know, moving this forward. Um, and so, you know, people can join, they can be involved. We're looking for people to help us with um, with social media, with design. Um, and pretty soon, we're going to be uh, needing people to help us build our policy uh, and helping us to gather those signatures as soon as we're all safe uh, to go out and talk to one another again.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I attended one of those town halls and learned a lot about even just the general like the flaws in our voting system talking about you know these different initiatives like money and politics and all of you know the different things that voters not politicians has has looked at on a on a major scale um so i highly recommend anyone who's listening who um check out rank my votes facebook page and and watch one of those town halls because they're very um enlightening and then also sharing this info with as many people as you know yep getting more people understanding involved so that when those signature collections start um there are people who are ready to go and have heard about it so absolutely
1: um, well i just appreciate and one of those channels is, is really generous uh and uh and publicly engaged people like you so i'm just really thankful for you uh for making this time available to us and uh um, you know, anything that we can do, you know, to, to help uh, distribute this, uh, post this on our site, uh, so that people can uh, can see more about your podcast. And I've been looking at the list, you know, the topics that you've been taking up, questions like the Electoral College and, and immigration and stuff. You've been having these great guests. Uh, and uh, it's just a really good uh, educational moment for a lot of people. And I know that's kind of, we talked before, that's something you live for. So I'm really appreciative.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on here to talk about this. Um, I'm I'm hoping that this, you know, the number of people that listen to this will, you know, share this episode with other people. Um, It's something I'm very excited about, and I'm looking forward to finding ways to get involved um, as this initiative moves forward between now and 2022. to really, really get things, help get things rolling. So,
1: well, I know you're busy, but we, we have room. So yeah, just let us
0: know and we'll, we'll make that happen. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. Um, Absolutely. Thank I you. I really man. appreciate it. Um, and if people, if anyone wanted to get in contact with you, uh, do you have any contact info that you wanted to share? Of you know, own? they
1: can, they can find me actually just at Kevin at rankmyvote.org. R A N K M um, I V O T E dot org. Uh, I'm also the only uh, Deegan Krause, other than my wife and two kids in the world, and that's D E E G A N hyphen K R A U S E. That's my last name. Uh, and so all they have to do is uh, put that into a search engine, and I'll pop up and uh, multiple different ways to find me. Um, I love. Uh, talking to people about politics, it's what I do for a living. Uh, and so you know anyone has any follow- up questions um, either of those two ways of communicating uh, with me, I would be more than happy to 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 talk to you directly.
0: Awesome. again, thank you so much for being here. I'm sure I will connect with you again at some point down the line for your expertise on other political issues. So uh, looking, this is very enlightening. Thanks right. appreciate it. Have a great yeah. have a great day. You too, thank you. Sure. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to this episode. I'm really excited about the potential that this system could bring in terms of the future of voting in our country. Um, there's obviously, as we discussed in this episode, there's plenty of examples of this being used successfully and the positive impacts that it can have in cities across the U.S., in states, some states, and in especially in other countries. So I am going to leave it there. Um, As a reminder, if you have not yet, please do follow me on Instagram at Mitten underscore politics or on Facebook. You can like my page at Mitten Politics with no spaces or underscores. And if you have any questions about any of the content in these episodes, please email email me at MittenPolitics at gmail.com. Again, no spaces or underscores on that. Um, And I'd be happy to address your questions in another episode, another email. Um, And so thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. And I will see you for our next episode in two weeks.